Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. I would like to welcome live uh, next Peter Greystone, who has a brand new book, very hot off the press, with a wonderfully reassuring title, All's Well That Ends Well, From Dust to Resurrection, 40 Days with Shakespeare. Peter works for the Diocese of Southwark, and so daily, I would imagine, walks the same streets that Shakespeare did. Uh, Peter, you uh, are a writer. You write beautifully. Uh, some of our watchers may know you from Reflections for Daily Prayer, from uh, other books of yours that we've published and uh, we're just so thrilled that you're with us this morning um, to continue that theme of sort of need really let me welcome you again and we look forward to hearing what you have to say to us this morning well I'm delighted to be here Christine a lot of people on this retreat will have woken up under snow this morning is it wintry where you are Christine it started snowing here <laughs> yeah it feels like winter's begun today, doesn't it? In fact, uh, winter uh, begins in four days' time. I, I think this year will be a harsh winter, too, in many ways. I'm going to be taking my faith and my Bible with me through this winter as my upholder. Of course I am. This year, though, I'm also taking William Shakespeare as my inspiration. And this morning, I'll tell you why. I was at a church service where the prayers began. Lord God, you have taught us that mercy is twice blessed. It's a blessing to those who give it and also to those who receive it. Uh, well, God has indeed taught us that about mercy. But it's not a quote from the Bible. It's from Shakespeare's play, The Merchant of Venice. I think the person leading the prayers was muddling the two up, but it didn't matter. But it started me thinking, suppose I woke up one morning and my Bible had disappeared, but I still had my complete works of William Shakespeare. What could his plays and poems teach me about the Christian faith and the God who loves me? Turns out there are hundreds of allusions to the Bible in Shakespeare's play. In As You Like It, there's a reference to the parable of the prodigal son in the first 30 seconds. And out of all that has come my new book, All's Well That Ends Well. Um, that's the title of a Shakespeare play. And it's also the Christian hope that our destiny is in the hands of a good and gracious God. The subtitle is From Dust to Resurrection, 40 Days with Shakespeare. It's one of those books where you, you read a chapter every day for 40 days. So each day there's a speech from one of the plays and I look at the ideas in it and work out how they bounce off the Christian faith, where the ideas come from in the Bible and how they can uplift us. Uh, Plus, I tell the story of his life and explore the plays. And there's plenty of jokes, too, because I can't stop myself. Why Shakespeare? 
because he's found his way into our national consciousness and he impacts on our lives, whether we realize it or not. Four centuries after he wrote them, expressions that he invented have become household words, uh, which is a phrase coined by Shakespeare. Listing them all would be too much of a good thing, which is also a phrase by, invented by Shakespeare, as luck would have it, which is also a phrase invented by Shakespeare. Listing them all um, uh, would be too much, but what's done is done. And uh, that is also a phrase coined by Shakespeare. There's nearly 2,000 of them. Uh, invented phrases by him in everyday use. So I shall stop now or we'll be here forever and a day. This morning, I'm going to talk about just one speech from one play to prepare us for the season to come. It's The Winter's Tale. I've chosen that because the Royal Shakespeare Company production is on BBC iPlayer at the moment in their series called Lights Up. And you can watch it on one of the chilly nights to come. Winter's Tale is a wonderful play from the very end of Shakespeare's writing life. It has within it the most beautiful line that Shakespeare ever wrote. It's not exit pursued by a bear. Uh, that really is a line from the play. And it's a stage direction that challenges directors and entertains audiences. No, it's an, it's an altogether simpler and more telling line than that, as we shall see later. Everything in the first half of the winter's tale is ice and bitterness. A sad tale's best for winter, says Mamilius, who's a child in the play who doesn't realize that his life is about to be cut short. We are led to expect a raw tragedy. Leontes is the king of Sicilia. He and Polixenes, king of Bohemia, have been best friends since childhood. Leontes' wife Hermione is pregnant. She's very fond of Polixenes. But inside her husband Leontes, an irrational jealousy is growing and he mistakes the friendship between the two for an affair. His jealousy explodes into an accusation that the baby Hermione is carrying is not his, but the child of Polixenes. And that forces his friend to flee back to his home. Leontes has his wife thrown in jail. There she gives birth to a girl. Hermione's companion, Paulina, brings the baby to Leontes and pleads for him to reconsider. But his paranoia is surging and he orders the baby to be taken away and abandoned in a far-flung place. Hermione is put on trial and Leontes declares her guilty. But at that moment, a message arrives. The Oracle of Delphi has made a judgment. The oracle was the, the high priest of the temple of Apollo in Greece, and her pronouncements were trusted utterly. The oracle's judgment is that Hermione and Polixenes are blameless 
and Leontes is a jealous tyrant. Leontes' frozen heart refuses to accept it. But a servant rushes in with news that his son, Mamilius, has died from the burden of her, his father's cruelty. Hermione collapses and she's carried away. Leontes is overcome with grief and descends into despair when Paulina informs him that his wife has also died. Leontes vows that the rest of his life will be spent in penance for the sin he now recognises. The tragic chill of this winter's tale is complete. But what of the baby that he so cruelly banished? She's taken to Bohemia, where she's left with proof of her identity and a chest of gold. It's the unfortunate man who whisks her away that has that fatal encounter with a bear. The baby is found by a shepherd and he takes her home and gives her the name Perdita. It means lost. 16 years later, she is gorgeous and she's caught the attention of Florizel, who happens to be the son of the king of Polixenes. That's the best friend who had to flee. In the altogether different atmosphere of Bohemia, the bitterness of the first half of the play begins to transform. A springtime festival brings onto the stage colour and dance and a variety of rogues and people in disguise. And among them is Polixenes, who has disguised himself to find out what his son is up to. He is furious when he finds him dating Perdita, who's, he thinks, far too lowly to be in the company of a prince. But Florizel wants to marry the girl he loves, so they take flight. They board a boat bound for, <laughs> guess where, back to Sicilia with all the major characters in pursuit. Back in Sicilia, after all these years, Leontes is still grieving, a chastened man. He speaks of the gods and heaven and sin and the blessing that follows repentance. The entrance of Prince Florizel with his beautiful wife lifts his spirits and reminds him of his old friend. Uh, to his delight, Polixenes then arrives in person and when the shepherd tells the story of how he found the baby, both kings realise Perdita's true identity and there is much rejoicing. But that is not the end of the story. In the chapel of Paulina's house, there is a statue of Hermione so realistic that it even has wrinkles as if she'd aged 16 years since we last saw her. Invited there to see it, Leontes is overcome. Paulina tells the awed Leontes that she can make the statue move. You can barely believe it, of course, but she says that in order for this restoration to be complete, he must have faith. She tells him 
it is required you do awake your faith. Sin, repentance, understanding, the awakening of faith. This is not the Bible we're reading, but don't you think it could be? It's extraordinary, isn't it? And it's beautiful. I'm going to ask for the words to appear on the screen so that you can follow as I do a poor impersonation of Dame Judy Dench. Paulina. It is required you do awake your faith. Then all stand still. Music. Awake her. Strike. Music plays. Tis time. Descend. Be stone no more. Approach. Strike all that look upon with marvel. Come. I'll fill your grave up. Stir, nay, come away, bequeath to death your numbness, for from him dear life redeems you. You perceive she stirs, Hermione comes down. Start not, her actions shall be holy as you hear my spell is lawful. Do not shun her until you see her die again, for then you'll kill her double. Nay, present your hand. When she was young, you wooed her. Now in age, is she become the suitor? Leontes touches Hermione. Oh, she's warm. If this be magic, let it be an art lawful as eating. The statue stirs, Leontes reaches out to touch. Hermione lives. Whether she spent all those years alive but in hiding, or whether this is a resurrection from the dead, is not made clear. What is clear, however, is that death has been defeated and grace has flooded with joy what we expected would be a tragedy. Paulina tells the statue that it is time to shake off the numbness of death and be redeemed into new life. This scene ought not to work because it's so preposterous and yet in a theatre bewitchingly lit and underscored with music, its magic ambushes an audience with emotion every single time. How does Shakespeare prompt tears at that point with the most beautiful line he ever wrote? Leontes reaches out to touch his living wife and whispers, oh, she's warm. First a gasp and then two simple monosyllables. In them is a world of wonder. There is astonished recognition that this is not an apparition, but a living being. There's a sigh of delight in human touch and all that ice, all that bitterness which had Leontes in its grip for years and years 
is melting. The winter's tale is over. He has found warmth. Shakespeare, the man who wrote this earlier in his writing career, put his characters through pitiless desolation. I mean, King Lear describes a human as a poor bare-forked animal and is sent naked and mad into a storm. It's the same writer who allowed Othello to be so beset by jealousy, the same sin that undid Leontes, that the play ends with a frenzy of death. Something happened. Something must have happened to Shakespeare toward the end of his life, which meant that he couldn't bring himself to sustain the cynicism which drove the great tragedies and instead filled his final plays like The Winter's Tale with forgiveness and reconciliation. Nobody knows what it was. I, I guess nobody ever will. This is the play in which all's well that ends well. And although the name of Jesus isn't mentioned, anyone who has experienced for themselves the grace of the Christian good news can recognize what stops the course of what should be a tragedy and instead leads it into a place of healing. First, there's a good shepherd who finds and saves a girl who has been named Lost. That's a clear reference to the parable Jesus told about a shepherd who leaves 99 sheep and goes searching for one that has gone astray. When the story is told in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus explains that it's about God's longing for men and women that tragedy should not prevail. He says, it is the will of your father who is in heaven that not one of these little ones should perish. It isn't obvious what kind of religious landscape the winter's tale is set in. Uh, in some ways, it's a pagan world where characters believe in the Greek gods and revere the oracle. Bohemia is in Central Europe, but in the play, it feels more like rural England because the festival that we see is Christians celebrating Pentecost. Um, he calls them the wits and pastorals. Sicilia is in Catholic Italy, and that is where Leontes speaks of remorse and repentance. But Pauliner insists that no action of his own, even if he were to pray on his knees in a slow blasted mountain, would earn him the forgiveness he asks. His hope lies in the compassion and grace of God alone. Faith is what saves Leontes. It is required you do awake your faith, Paulina tells him. He's lived in a world in which he's isolated himself from everyone in the court and attempted to find fulfilment in the power he has to control the world around him. It has brought him no joy. He needs to acknowledge that there is something supernatural in the world that he cannot control, some holiness. 
He needs the invent intervention of what Christians know to be a good and gracious God. And then numb in that Arctic need, Leontes touches resurrection. Seven days after Jesus rose from the dead, his friend Thomas also knew the numbness with which grief constricts your world. Still unaware that something profoundly supernatural had overturned all concepts of what is possible, he declared, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. In the depth of that pain, Jesus chose to reveal himself. He came with words of peace. He came with reassurance that what Thomas needed at that moment would be granted to him. Reach out your hand. Jesus was there not as an apparition, but as a moving, touchable, breathing reality. And in that moment of touch, Thomas' faith awoke. You are my Lord and my God, he whispered. Winter is coming. I think this year it will be a bitter one. A troubling time for our weary nation. A troubling time for our burdened souls. This chill world of hurt and damage needs to be overwhelmed by grace. The winter of our proud human hearts needs a saviour. Our little loves and frozen hopes need to live once more. Reach out to Jesus in whom there is grace and love and life. Oh, he will be warm. It is required you do awake your faith. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk. If you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times, you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more.